you know, if I appear in court, I'm going to be representing not only the president of the United States, but the sovereign citizens of this country who deserve to hear the truth. The first thing we would ask for is let's have let's have cameras in the courtroom so all Americans can see mm. what's happening in our criminal justice system. And I would right. hope the Department of Justice would join in that effort so that we, we take the curtain away and all Americans get to see what's happening. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Unplugged. Welcome to episode 54 of The Middle Unplugged, a break in the middle of the week when we reclaim the microphone from the far left and the far right and try to carve out some time for a less shrill and less extreme and generally less angry conversation. It seems that a lot of Americans learn history and geography in times of war. We all become experts on whatever region of the globe is on fire at any particular time. We've seen this phenomenon acutely the last few weeks as the Middle East has erupted in more terrorism against Israel and her understandable response. I've spent the last couple of episodes talking about that history and geography, and every weekend on my radio show, people have been calling in and talking about parts of the world that they probably hadn't thought about much in a very long time. There's also an analogy in lawmaking. When Congress reaches some kind of public tipping point, that they know they've really got to do something that matters to Americans' lives, whether it be a giant piece of legislation like Obamacare or a day-to-day -day requirement of legislative life like forestalling a government shutdown or making sure that the full faith and credit of the United States is protected. When these moments happen, suddenly everybody knows what a continuing resolution is or how many votes are necessary to elect a speaker or how long it is until we run out of money. The same is true with proceedings in our courts. Public trials that capture our attention force us to refresh our knowledge of the Bill of Rights or the rules of evidence and why the hell we have plea bargains in the first place. Now that Donald Trump, the cult leader and former president, is facing 91 criminal counts in four different cases in four different jurisdictions, everyone seems to be an expert on the law, the practice of law, and the flaws in our system. But unlike watching coverage of a war on television or watching endless roll call votes for speaker on cable news, many judicial proceedings are available only in the form of dry written transcripts. Trials in federal courts are not televised. But why is that? A little thing called Rule 53 of the Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure. It dates back to the 1940s and it bans photography in federal criminal trials like the ones that Donald Trump faced in D.C. for conspiring to overturn the election, and in Florida for mishandling classified documents. The big one, accusing Donald Trump of doing a coup, should be on TV. I have a bunch of reasons. First, America should see and hear that the, the what the evidence is and how federal courts deal with it and how they try to figure out the truth. It's surely not a perfect system, but it's not this arbitrary political and staged thing that Donald Trump and a lot of his supporters claim it is. Which is the second reason. Donald Trump makes so much stuff up about these cases that you've almost need full transparency. Otherwise, he'll just have more latitude to lie about them. We've been watching in real time Donald Trump walk outside the courtroom of the civil trial against him and his family and just make stuff up about what went on inside. Heck, he even claimed he was required to be there. Without cameras, the public will have more of this, and even well-meaning reporters will be reduced to describing the trial in sound bites without any sound and descriptions of talking heads. 
Let's remember also that Donald Trump had to pay the legal bills of Hillary Clinton in this case against her for libel, I think it was, was dismissed because the court said he and his lawyers had, I quote here, consistently misrepresented and cherry picked portions of public reports and filings to support a false factual narrative. That right there, that's legal speak for Trump lies in court. He and his cult members may do this, even if the trial is televised. But let me tell you a little bit about the conversations I have nearly every weekend with Trump supporters who call into my radio show. The calls usually are something that echoes Trump's arguments. The prosecution is unfair or it's politically motivated or some version of they're out to get him or it's election interference or something like that. But they rarely say he didn't do it. He didn't do the crimes. So I asked the callers, if Trump did the things he's accused of, should he be held to account? Usually, begrudgingly, they have a hard time swallowing it, but they say yes. But they do have a, a particular problem with this whole idea of trials as a way to sort out the facts in this world of everybody choose your own facts that we live in today. Will that automatically change if people have real life trials to watch instead of Trump or an unreliable mainstream media person describing the trial? Probably no. But we learned from the January 6th committee hearings that a lot of information finally broke through with people who otherwise didn't want to hear it. And if people get to watch and hear from a judge, they might be less likely to consider that judge biased after they hear about it. Simply put, seeing the court in action will make it harder to lie about it. And I don't think I even need to make this argument, but this is a really important trial. This case is about the most significant assault on our capital since the War of 1812. And it's about our first attempted coup. We had an impeachment trial that was public, and an average of 11 million viewers watched the opening arguments, and that doesn't count the streaming people. And during those arguments, Donald Trump's defenders said, sure, he did bad things, but they should be correctly adjudicated in a trial. Well, I'm sure those Americans and many more around the world would be surprised to learn that the only people who can watch the trial are the handful that will squeeze into the courtroom. We watch the attack on TV. We watch the legislative branch hearings on TV. We watch the impeachment on TV. It stands to reason we should watch this on TV too. Or the radio. Yeah, yeah. Come to think of it, definitely on the radio. That's where we should hear it. Now, some of you may be confused because you read the Bill of Rights and you know what the Sixth Amendment is. Here are the first 16 words, 15 words. In all criminal prosecutions, accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial. That last part I read, a public trial is right there in the Constitution in a super prominent place. Why? Well, for moments like this, to make sure the governed have faith in what is happening. Justice happens in the open. The Supreme Court reaffirmed this with the declaration that, quote, what transpires in the courtroom is public property. There was a famous case about this in 1980 called Richmond Newspapers versus Virginia. The Supreme Court didn't really talk much about this issue of cameras in the courtroom, as much as about the importance of the public being able to observe justice in action so as to increase the faith in government. A salient notion today for sure. So if there is an amendment, a Supreme Court decision, and an agreement that criminal trials must be open, then why no cameras? Well, the reasons are not irrational. There has been a concern about grandstanding by the participants in the trial the possible privacy concerns for jury members, or the possibility that passions might run very high after hearing one witness or another. At this rule against cameras was made at a time that technology of cameras and microphones might reasonably seen as too distracting, something that isn't 
really an issue today. I mean, you remember those big cameras with the light on top and the long lenses. That's not the case today. And recently, because of COVID, there have been more and more experiments with broadcasting proceedings from courts all over the country. 49 states and the District of Columbia permit journalists to capture proceedings with their own cameras. So back to the Trump case. How might this one be televised? Well, a couple of things could happen, but one path seems the easiest. Congress could make a law, either for this case especially or for all federal criminal trials, to make it easier for judges to permit cameras. And while there's little appetite for bipartisan anything nowadays, there is a bill that Republican Charles Grassley of Iowa has introduced that has the support of four Democrats in the Senate to make this kind of change. Another way is the Judicial Conference, this organization that made these rules, which is run by Chief Justice John Roberts. They could vote for an amendment to Rule 53 at any time. Indeed, the conference has considered the idea of allowing cameras for more than 30 years. And in 1994, it considered and rejected a proposal to do just that, to, co- to televise all criminal trials. But now it could decide to broadcast just this specific case if it wants, or it could really do anything it wanted in terms of changing this rule. But you know how else this might wind up being televised? It's a long shot, but it's Donald Trump and his lawyers actually doing what they said. That cut at the top of the show was from July when the indictment in the D.C. case first came down. It seemed like an odd thing to just throw in there. I assume it was from the Trump lawyer survival handbook that says, say stuff on TV that Donald Trump likes to hear. Well, if Trump's lawyer and Trump really wanted this trial to be televised, they have a formal way to request it. A coalition of media companies made a formal petition to the court of Judge Chutkin to permit some form of television coverage of the J6 trial. They suggested several options from a pool camera to a posting of a daily uh, feed of the trial on YouTube. In their petition, they also suggested rules that have been in use for a while in other televised court proceedings on things like not showing the jurors and not having microphones near sidebar, stuff like that. But the rub is that the judge has not rejected the petition and instead asked Trump's legal team to file a response to the idea by next Friday, November 10th. I know we say this a lot, but this does put Trump in a box. Obviously, just because his lawyer said it doesn't mean that Trump has to go along with televising the hearings, the trial. Trying to get into the mind of Donald Trump, and as the father of a 12-year-old, I'm pretty good at assessing the motivations of man-children. I think Trump will be motivated by trying to keep the attention away from his critics, kind of like the assessment he made about the debates. But since Chutkin asked for briefs on the subject, his lawyers are going to have to not only reverse what they said publicly, but also come up with the well-reasoned arguments for why the public seeing the trial would prejudice their defendant. Now, this would be a hard thing to do without arguing that somehow hiding the case from America is a good idea. It would also require him backtracking, in legal papers at least, on the bravado he has demonstrated up to now. He's promised to testify, that he'll win, that the case will fall apart. You've heard it all. The procedural wrangling in these cases is interesting only for nerds like me and maybe you. So the impact of the filing itself will probably not rile up too much attention, but it will give Trump opponents some opportunity to say he was scared if he decides to come out against this. One other pitfall of Trump coming out against televising the cases is the impact that position might have on all of his gag order arguments. He's argued that the First Amendment protects his right to say some crazy stuff while on trial. I mean, it doesn't. But if Trump comes out against letting the public see the trial, 
but then wants the right to say anything he wants about the proceedings and the players in it, I assume the court will tell him he can't have it both ways. So perhaps us all being able to see the trial and in the time, you know, all our ability to see it is kind of in the tiny hands of Donald Trump. And we hope that Donnie helps us out here. But a serious point, one final one. Part of the argument for permitting the public to watch trials was the idea of community confidence in the outcome, as I mentioned. That is true for the community at large, but especially for the victims of the crimes. I am a victim of the crime in this case. I am one of the 81,281,900 voters who cast a vote in a democracy for the winning candidate. The effort to overturn the free and fair election was an effort to deny me my rights, to victimize me, and of course, maybe you. We all can't sit in the courtroom, far from it. In 2023, there are ways to give me and you the right to see the accused on trial, to see justice in the case where we all were victims, so we can all have a sense of that elusive thing called closure. When Aaron Burr was on trial for conspiracy, the judge in the case, Chief Justice John Marshall, moved the trial to the biggest room in, in, uh, in Richmond, Virginia. I think it was the legislative chambers of the state legislature. So to accommodate the throngs that had come to Richmond who wanted to see it. Like that case, this one is sure to make some people unhappy, but perhaps watching it will make us smarter. Oh, by the way, Aaron Burr was acquitted and the Republicans of the time were furious. And we'll be right back with Ask Anthony Anything. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to The Middle Unplugged. This is the part of the program where we take a question, a comment, and we try to talk back to it. And for this segment, I introduce to the podcast the Honorable Dean Phillips of Minnesota. I invite you to join me in declaring a new American independence, not from another nation or people, rather a new independence from fear and from the status quo. That road to a new American century starts right here, and it starts right now. I am running for the Democratic nomination for President of the United States because, my friends, it is time for a change. And I am ready to lead our great nation to a secure and a more prosperous future. I do so not in opposition to President Biden, who has my affection and my gratitude, rather with two core convictions that I, in the Democratic candidate, who can win, who can win the 2024 election. And second, 
It is time for the torch to be passed to a new generation of American leaders right here, all around the country and all around the world. So he's running for president and what he left unsaid there. Well, let's talk about what he said. He said, I'm not running against Joe Biden because of anything that he's done. I'm running against him because he can't win. And he says that presumably that generational handing off stuff is another way of saying that thing that has become kind of old right now, no pun intended, that Joe Biden is old and feeble and can't do the job. It's become a chorus. We've talked about it on this show. The Republicans talk about it nonstop. As someone who's a host on conservative radio, I hear the feeble old guy in the White House nonstop every time he has some kind of a verbal gaffe or stumbles. We hear all about it. And the polls have pretty been been pretty convincing that Joe Biden, it's a vulnerability of his. He doesn't seem to be getting too much credit for improvements in the economy or how he's managed the foreign policy situations in the world because this has become the abiding narrative of the campaign. But it is worth noting that a couple of things happen in campaigns. When you have a vulnerability, one of the things that happens is the press and viewers try to contrast it with the other guy in the race. The other guy in the race is not 80, but he's close. He's 77 years old. And more and more attention has started to turn to what Donald Trump says and does. And this was bound to happen a year out from the election, people were bound to say, yeah, 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 Joe Biden's old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says some goofy things. But let's look at the other guy. And the other guy has been saying some goofy things as well. This past Sunday, he was at Sioux City, Iowa, and thanked the supporters in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It's about 75 miles away. He claimed he ran against Barack Obama. He claimed they were about to start World War II. He seems to have enormous amount of trouble saying Hamas. That's just one thing he has trouble saying. Take a listen to this tape. Colleges and universities will purge the anti-Semitism and pro-terrorism. Ter- uh, what, what you're doing, the terrorism. Yep, I know it's kind of funny if you don't like Donald Trump and it's generally goofy, but it's also something that has started to seep in with voters. Sure, they think that Joe Biden is more of a liability with him, but a lot of people see that both of the candidates are too old to do their job. But these are going to be the candidates. But if you take a look at the polling, that 43% of U.S. voters in a recent poll said that both men were too old to effectively serve another four-year term as president. A similar poll had almost the exact same results in Pennsylvania, the swing state of Pennsylvania, said both men were too old to serve another term. But since these are going to be the candidates, Trump and Biden, There's nothing you can do about it. Asking questions about whether they're too old or not really doesn't accomplish very much if we are pretty sure they're going to be the nominees. And with all due respect to my new friend, checks his notes, Dean Phillips of Minnesota, these are the guys we're going to have. But recent polling is starting to do something a little interesting, saying, okay, okay, you believe these two candidates are both too old. But of the people that think that, who are you going to vote for? And overwhelmingly, by giant margins, people say they're going to vote for Joe Biden. So what does that tell you? And by the way, I say giant margin. The New York Times, in the AP poll of the nation, 61% said they're going to vote for Joe Biden compared to 13 for Trump. These are people who all said they thought that both were too old. In Pennsylvania, almost the same exact numbers, 66 to 11 for Joe Biden. Now, why is that? Well, some of it is a function of Democrats are more concerned about Biden's age even than Republicans are. The Republicans are probably going to vote for him anyway. 
Some of it is also a function that the Republican Party voters are generally older themselves, so maybe they're less likely to hold it against Joe Biden. But it could just be that Donald Trump, the things that he says seem just that they're, they touch on something greater than a misstep. They seem to, to point to him really having um, really having some challenges around basic elements of fact and everything else. But the reason I bring up this segment, I bring up this idea, is that we do have a lot of tendency to focus on the relative strength and vulnerabilities of the two candidates as if they're operating in a vacuum. What we care about when looking at these polls is what the swing voter, the voter that is not hard aligned for Trump and Biden, are likely to do. Those two groups are going to vote for Trump and Biden. Biden voters are going to be Biden voters. Trump voters are going to be Trump voters. It is that elusive notion of the independent in the middle, which is a smaller and smaller non-aligned group in these partisan times. And for those people, there is no real indication yet that the turnout and the vote and the issues will be all that different than they were in 2020. We are getting a chance to do a replay. Now, there are some things that are different on the ground. We've had January 6th. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we we're going to we have trials of, of the former president. There have been challenges to President Biden in terms of the economy not getting better, hemorrhaging support among Democrats, perhaps because of the his position on Israel. But we can focus a great deal of this issue of age, but it is not a contrast to a large degree. Everyone in both parties believes both guys are too old, but they are going to be the candidates. And so with all due respect to Congressman Phillips, saying that I'm a younger Joe Biden is not really going to help very much win either a Democratic primary or the general election. But something is going to happen. This one final note. What is going to happen is these things go in waves. For months and months, there has been all this attention to the things that Joe Biden says that are gaffy or that make him look like he's losing it a little bit. Donald Trump has an enormous number of those every single day. And I think now those are going to start to get a lot more attention. And unlike something like an accomplishment or getting a vote passed or the Inflation Adjustment Act or holding together or the NATO coalition against Ukraine, um, Donald Trump doesn't have a lot to fall back on. Well, best he can say is, let's go back to where we were in 2020, where he lost that election. If you'd like to offer something up either for a subject of the show, or you'd like to be in the Ask Anthony segment, I can be found on wienerwabc at gmail.com, at Rep Wiener on Twitter, Anthony D. Wiener on Facebook and Threads, or you can always just call into the radio show that I do on Saturday between two and four. It's great to have you along. I appreciate all the support for the podcast. And this marks the end of The Middle Unplugged.